afterwards. It took about two weeks for me to possess the trophy. Ryan was very clear I could get it any time I wanted, but he was having the plaque put on that would forever commemorate my title when I inevitably relinquished the cup. I took Brooker over to his house to get it. He was waiting for me in his driveway, and I did well to contain my excitement as the trophy passed from his hands to mine without much ceremony. There were no beers to drink out of it. No pictures were taken, no speeches given, but that did not matter. I was champion, and nothing, not even my daughter, puking up goldfish and prune juice on the way home twice, could take that away from me. Hoy set out to order me my green jacket, and I sit here today in late January, banging away on a keyboard, reflecting about the season. It was a hell of a ride. In a lot of ways, this year was just like any other. I used my same strategies, techniques, and approach to the game that had failed me in the past. In April, my wife and I welcomed our second child, Bailey, the first Lou baby born into a championship household. Come August, I will be the first champ in some time to enter the year's campaign with a plus draft. Perhaps in a year's time, when I recall this day when I concluded my ultimate troll of the league, a published literary work, I'll think to myself, little did I know on that late January day that my journey was, in fact, not yet through. While I thought the trail had ended with my championship, I was actually only halfway down the road I was traveling, a road that led to a repeat. Analytical analysis. So how did I do it? What all went into this championship run? A few factors certainly contributed more than others. First of all, I cannot ignore the luck I had, especially with keepers. In years past, I had rolled into the season with three top 10 ranked running backs, only to watch them get hurt or bust. This year, two of my keepers, Austin Eckler and Devontae Adams, provided elite level performances week after week. Each would miss only one game and finish in the top five at their positions. Both were also acquired via trade in the offseason. Casey sleeping on Adams and not responding to Joe's text clearly benefited me. Only Antonio Gibson fell short of excellence, but still proved useful. Much has been made about my stable of running backs. On draft night, it's common for Luke members to hoard RBs. I left the draft with five running backs chosen in the first three rounds are kept. All five of those running backs are still on my roster and startable assets by the year's end. The ability to lock in Austin Eckler and play the matchup that best fit for the other running backs in flex spot was huge. This reduced the likelihood of being let down by a back I had to start the way Gabe was let down by Camaro week 16 or Kevin was let down by Chubb week 17. At the end of the year, I held the second, eighth, and tenth scoring running backs on the season with Montgomery and Carter providing some big weeks as well in incomplete campaigns. Josh Allen certainly paid off. He was a set-it-and-forget-a-quarterback that I started 15 out of 17 weeks in the fantasy season, only benching him in the win game against New England. I would only be outscored by my opponent's quarterback four times this season and zero times during my seven-game winning streak to the title. Allen also provided big numbers, scoring over 26 points seven total times this year. Knowing what we know now, only Najee Harris could be called a better pick in the first 12 of the draft than Allen. These are plain and obvious to anyone who glances at my team, but there are also less obvious factors that deserve consideration as well. For instance, Matt Gay was a huge asset I had the entire season. Over the course of the year, Gay scored less than 8 points only twice. This provided consistency that allowed me to never lose a week by taking a hit at the kicker position. Like Allen, I was only outscored 4 times all season by my opponent's kicker. This lends some credit to drafting a good kicker if you feel you can count on him all season long. Defensive line was also a strong point. 
At this position, even the best DLs go games with less than two points. Cam Hayward scored five or more points eight times in weeks five through 17 when he was on my squad. This was huge consistency that allowed me to once more rely on stronger position groups to win my matchup, knowing full well D-line and also kicker likely would not lose me a week. Casey not making a move for Adams preseason, Brad turning down my offer of Austin Eckler, Antonio Gibson, and Chris Carson for Dalvin Cook and Stefan Diggs certainly helped. Kevin outbidding me for Henderson and Casey scoffing at my offers to send him Damian Harris for C.D. Lamb also helped me to avoid defeating myself. The stack correction helped. Gabe certainly would have beaten me by four points in championship week, but I would have smashed him in the semis had I slipped to the four seed with a loss week 17. Perhaps most shocking, though, were my wide receivers. Had you asked me when I first placed my hands on the trophy, I would have said that I won in spite of my wide receivers and not because of them. Next Jim's stats proves otherwise. Devontae Adams was excellent, wide receiver five on the season, and he played all but two games, one of which was his bye. The point of interest is my other two wide receiver slots. If the point totals of the players I started in my other two wide receiver slots are added up, they total to 312.2 points scored by my wide receiver 2 and my wide receiver 3 over the course of the season. When divided by 2, that comes to 156.1 from my wide receiver 2 and 3 position. 156.1 falls behind Hunter Renfro and would rank as wide receiver 15 on the season. This is a higher point total than was scored by Keenan Allen, Jalen Waddell, Chris Godwin, DJ Moore, Brandon Cooks, Terry McLaurin, Hollywood Brown, and other big names. The point being is that these players and is that the players and owner starts does not matter. The points they score do. It does not matter if Mike Williams and Antonio Brown lose production down the stretch so long as that production can be replaced. This seems obvious, but no one is going to look at my roster and be blown away by name value, yet it was as if I had the wide receiver 5, 15, and 16 starting on my team all season. While I would still rather have Cooper Cup and Debo Samuel, my wide receiver production was all above average for a position that must start 30 wide receivers each week across the league, more if you count the flex spot. And all from a position group I did not draft in the first two rounds, opting instead to share up tight end and quarterback. Without question, this hidden production from my wide receivers was vital to my championship run.